My name is Elizabeth. I just want you to know I never listened to I Doubt It with Jesse Dallimore because he reminds me of Tarash Limbaugh, and I don't like him. Bye. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Alright everybody, welcome to the show, episode 532 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and as always today, I am joined by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page. Alright, let's get into the important stuff. Get get the uh, the important stuff out of the way early, Absolutely, say. yeah. So um, all of that debate talk, we're going to deal with the important stuff. Yeah, that's not super important. <laughs> There's a few other things that we should really get out of the way. I like dealing with the important stuff, Brittany And Page. that is, what is the best sandwich? Th- this actually is an important topic. It is an important topic. <laughs> Food is very important. It's also important to tell people when they're wrong. Yes. We need <laughs> maybe, to issue maybe corrections. More importantly. So, YouGov, um, a survey of 1,223 people... They they surveyed these people and asked them what their top sandwich choice was. Really uh, taking care of the important stuff over there at YouGov. Yeah. And, uh, well, first of all, I guess we should just say, well, let's guess our own um, favorite sandwiches. So well, you can I know, say... I know my well, own. I'll say, I'll guess what your favorite <laughs> sandwich is, and you can guess what my favorite sandwich is. And then we'll see... If it's even on the list and how other people feel hmm. about said sandwich. I, for you, I had to give it some thought. Um, I know that like when we go to a deli, you usually get like roast beef or like turkey and I'm usually ham. Like that's like at a deli. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go something with beef. All right. Something with beef is a terrible answer because <laughs> I, well, I don't know. Well, that's not specific. The the answers weren't something with turkey, something with beef, something with All right, tomato. I'm a fucking failure. A failure. Yeah, well, we know. <laughs> so, since you failed on right. even even offering yeah. up a guess about what mine is, I'm going to guess roast beef, roast beef sandwich. Okay, I'm getting that's wrong, and I am going to guess <laughs> that yours is a Reuben sandwich. While the Reuben is good, uh-huh. uh huh. My favorite sandwich of all fucking time. Uh huh. Usually, when we go to a restaurant, I'll order the Reuben because it's what's typically available. Mm-hmm. Mine would be a Cubano. Oh, okay. Well, that didn't really make like the top list. Yeah. Like it wasn't even included in this little infographic thing that they made. L- let me read real quickly the the 15 sandwiches that are on the list. Well, this is the ones that you're going to read and you're going to be reading them in order from 
most liked to least liked. Yeah. These are the percentages combined with really like and somewhat like. Okay. So Americans said that they are either really like or somewhat like the following sandwiches. Let, let me. Well, we'll talk about it afterward. Um, the, the top on the list: seventy-nine percent grilled cheese, seventy-five percent grilled chicken. Grilled. There's a bunch of Applebee's eaters here. Seriously, this is white bread fucking bullshit. A grilled chicken. Sa- All right, we'll save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to try. Third, 75% turkey sandwich. Well, so that was tied. Seriously. That was tied with grilled chicken. Yeah. 71% roast beef. 69% ham. 69% BLT. 68% club. 67% bacon. I just know. a fucking <laughs> bacon sandwich. Have you heard of that? A bacon sandwich? Yeah. 66%. Apparently, they let children take this. Uh, peanut butter and jelly. If you had to choose all of these sandwiches, you're really going to say that you really like this one? That'd be dead last for me if I had to choose that one. 65% pulled pork, 64% tuna, 58% egg salad, 56% meatball, 48, 48% Reuben, and 46 bringing in the rear French dip sandwich. Well, and let's just say, because you said that the Cuban sandwich is your favorite, that's on the list. You have to actually open the, the full report to see what the percentage is there. But for the percentage of people that said they really like or somewhat like the Cuban sandwich, you have 38% of Americans. That is bananas. But here's... here's Not plantains. <laughs> bananas. But here's the other <laughs> issue. Sorry, I was clearing my throat while you mm, made your joke. Mm-hmm. Um, many people have not tried some of the sandwiches yeah, that were on the sure. list. So obviously there's regional differences here as well. You have people in the Northeast that preferred the lobster roll more than the national average. Well, then we're going to start getting into what's a sandwich and what's not. Cause I wouldn't consider a lobster roll a sandwich. I, I know technically it is, but when I'm thinking of all the delicious types of sandwiches, that doesn't like, spring into my head. Okay. People in the Northeast, 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 <laughs> um, also prefer the meatball sub compared to nationally, the national average. Yeah. And in the West, people seem to prefer the French dip more than other Americans. The, the other item on here that's not here is just pastrami piled fucking as high as your head on rye bread. Just Jewish deli, straight up Jewish deli. Yeah. Which would probably be my second, which is why I like the Reuben so much. Yeah. Pastrami sandwich percentage of Americans that really like or somewhat like it is 52%. And that's probably also a Northwest thing. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Midwesterners tend to fall with the national average on their choices. Of course. Fucking grilled cheese. Um, But they also... They're the ones that YouGov singled out as not trying as many different types of sandwiches. So lobster rolls, crab cake sandwich, cheese and tomato, and the Cuban sandwich, they were more likely to say that they had never even tried these sandwiches. Listen, let me say it. The Cubano is goddamn sandwich perfection. And I'm not going to get into it here. Not now. I'll, later, I'll bitch about it when off mic. But can I just say... The, the top three sandwiches rounding out this list. Grilled cheese. Favorite of five-year-olds everywhere, everybody. Grilled chicken. 
tasteless, dry-ass grilled chicken. And the same with turkey. Get the fuck out of here. Okay. so Even the photos they have on this list don't look appetizing of those three. So you remember how proud I was of my, like, apple epiphany that I had when I realized that... Uh, growing up, we always ate red delicious apples. And so those were always what I would say were my favorite apples yeah. because I had never tried any other apples. And then I tried pink lady apples and I was like, holy shit, this is my new favorite apple because I didn't even know it existed. And I tried it and I tried to extrapolate this example and and illustrate the point that this is how people are about so many other things in their lives, right? They think that they have the information on lock. They think they know what they're talking about. But in reality, there's things that they haven't even yeah. heard about, right? That might shift their perspective. And it's the same with this freaking sandwich deal, okay? <laughs> because you're talking this about... goddamn sandwich. You're talking about what... I know they asked what sandwich you really like. So it's not just what your favorite sandwich is, yeah. right? But... You haven't even tried some of these sandwiches, man. They should just take themselves out of the running. Look, I'm not educated enough in this field yes. to really make a determination. Exactly. I need to go try a lobster roll. Got to go eat myself a crab cake. I'll be back, bro. It's <laughs> Bro. <laughs> it's like that list that went around about the southern foods. Yeah. That was going around Facebook, and how many of these have you eaten? If you like, if you get six, oh, I didn't see that sixteen or seventeen or more of the thirty, then you're a true Southerner or whatever. Mm. I had eaten like all but like six of them, and the ones that were like weird ones, like gator or you know, fucking squirrel stew or something, which oh. I've never eaten. Mm -hmm. but, but you would absolutely, yeah, I know, of course, I'm, I'm, yeah. But I, so it might be kind of akin to that that I'm not. For me, I mean, seeking out alligator, you really got to see. I mean, I'm not putting a Cuban sandwich on the fucking on the same line as 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 alligator meat. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a lot more available. You just can't go to fucking Applebee's and think you're getting a, a solid bang up good meal. Well, and that's probably the case with like a lobster roll or crab cake where that's probably not like readily available in the Midwest. I think a lot of people that, that too, geography plays a role, but yeah. also... A lot of people don't want to drop 25 bucks on a little tiny fucking lobster roll. I know. I talk about how much I love them, and I've only had, like, five. <laughs> like, in my whole life. You know, it's like a... It's a little reward sometimes. Sometimes it's a big reward. Sometimes it's a big reward. Because $25 gets you... Unless you're in Maine, where, you know, lobster is plentiful. Well, I don't know. I had six ounces of lobster on my lobster roll the other day. Yeah, that's the, pretty good. That's a fistful. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we move on? We got a lot to cover today. We do. Uh, the, the debates. Oh, but wait. We would love to hear from people about oh, their own wait. sandwiches if they have strong opinions on this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We're also going to forego calls and communications until next episode. But in the meantime, we want to hear what uh, all the stuff we talked about last episode with Baltimore. We want to hear what you have to say about what we're getting ready to talk about with the debates. Mm -hmm. No one sounded off. No. Preemptively, no one sounded off about the debates. I think everyone is feeling the fatigue. Uh, it's early. It's if little, I can speak for everybody. It's a little early to be feeling the fatigue mm -hmm. related to Democratic debates. Yeah. But 657-464-7609, we welcome your voice memos from your smartphones. You can email those to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So let's begin with night one. And as a reminder, 
of who who actually participated for night one. Why don't we uh, remind everybody? As a reminder, let's remind everybody. All right, here quality we go. Quality broadcasting right there. Here we go with the 10 candidates for night one. Marianne Williamson, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, John Hickenlooper, John Delaney, and Steve Bullock. And that actually, coincident, not coincidentally enough, but that's actually the order... Uh, looking at the stage from left to right, that's their their sitting position, their standing position too. Yeah, their it was. podium mm-hmm. position. Yeah. So, do you have any uh, general takeaways before we start playing the the few clips that I have pulled here? Yeah, I think that a lot of people were thinking prior to the debate that at some point Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were going to go at one another because they are looked at as the two progressives in the race. The two certainly most credible progressives. The two top progressives. Yeah, yeah. And so in order to start setting themselves apart, people were saying it's it's possible or likely or maybe maybe even to their advantage to start going at one another to set themselves apart. That didn't happen. Yeah, I disagree with that that assessment too. I think that's going to be that's a long while coming. They were very supportive, almost working um, together yeah, yeah. to ensure and like bat down the attacks that they were receiving about their policies. So it was almost like Bernie and Elizabeth versus the world. Yeah, it was like tag team. One would get tired, tag the other one in, and then they would take over kind of a deal. Yeah. And John Delaney got way more speaking time yeah. than would ever be necessary. It was so weird what CNN was doing. That was the case for the second night, which we're going to be getting to here soon, which was pitting the 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 non-rates, pitting the the 1% and below crowd against the front runners and that's well I unnecessary d- and also just there's a reason why they don't have the support of the people. Well, I wonder if it was because they just deemed John Delaney the most reputable moderate on the stage to challenge some of the progressive policies. Like the most the most similar to Joe Biden. Yes. Like a stand-in for Joe Biden. Right. And so they were just having him do battle with them, even though no one knows who he is, really, or cares. Um, and then Pete Buttigieg is just awesome. If he, Let me, let me tell you. If he yeah. doesn't um, get, you know, VP or something like that, he's for sure going to be in, in the cabinet somehow. And whoever is selected i think because he's so well spoken he's so good on his feet he'll eventually be president yeah it's it's crazy how good he is how good he is on his feet it's very impressive and how articulately how articulately he as i fumble the word (laughs) how articulately he um communicates Mm -hmm. in so few words right very large broad concepts and it doesn't feel practiced yeah it doesn't feel like uh breathy and fake <laughs> like, like some Beto? other people. um <laughs> it, it just feels genuine he doesn't wave his hands around and bounce and do weird movements yeah it's like listening to a confident smart guy yeah. just talking that's because you're listening to a confident smart guy just talking yeah <laughs> i think that's true <laughs> so let's start i've got a few of these clips I tried to kind of put them in order of the debate, but I probably fucked it all up. So we're just gonna we're gonna touch on a few moments from the night. The first being John Delaney again getting lots of screen time. Oh yeah, lots of talk time. 
And he really, it doesn't sound like a Democrat there on stage. If you remember from 2016, when when Jim Webb, the, the former senator from Virginia, yeah. was in debate. He was kind of like a tough guy, strong man. Yeah. yeah. He didn't sound like a Democrat. Yes. Like affirmative action. No, it should only be for black people. That's not for anybody else. Just just we had weird ideas about things. So Warren, Elizabeth Warren, had what I think maybe was the, the slam of the night, the line of the night, which really encapsulates how I feel and kind of what I'm trying to say, fumble fuck around here and say about John Delaney. And uh, well, here it is. Congressman Delaney, your response. <laughs> so, I, so I think Democrats win when we run on real solutions, not impossible promises. When we run on things that are workable, not fairy tale economics. Look at the story of Detroit, this amazing city that we're in. This city is turning around because the government and the private sector are working well together. That has to be our model going forward. We need to encourage collaboration between the government, the private sector, and the nonprofit sector, and focus on those kitchen table pocketbook issues that matter to hardworking Americans, building infrastructure, creating jobs, improving their pay, Thank you, creating universal health care, lowering drug prices, Senator we can Warren. do it. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. <laughs> in Washington is corruption. It is giant corporations that have taken our government and that are holding it by the throat. And we need to have the courage to fight back against that. And until we're ready to do that, it's just more of the same. Well, I'm ready to get in this fight. I'm ready to win this Thank you, fight. Senator Congressman Delaney. When, when we created Social Security, we didn't say pensions were illegal, right? We can have big ideas to transform the lives. I mean. I started two companies and took them public before I was 40. I'm as big of a dreamer and an entrepreneur as anyone. But I also believe we need to have solutions that are workable. Can you imagine if we tried to start Social Security now but said private pensions are illegal? That's the equivalent of what Senator Sanders and Senator Warren are proposing with health care. That's not a big idea. That's an idea that's dead on arrival. That will never happen. So why don't we actually talk about things Big ideas that we can get done. The Thank stakes you, are too high. Senator, Senator Warren. So look, he talks. We'll come to you right after that. Senator Warren. He talks about solutions that are workable. We have tried the solution of Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. And what have the private insurance companies done? They've sucked billions of dollars out of our health care system. They've made everybody fill out dozens and dozens of forms. Why? Not because they're trying to track your health care. They just want one more excuse to say no. Insurance companies do not have a God-given right to suck money out of our health care system. You, and 2020 is our chance Senator, to thank stop Senator, Senator Sanders. Uh, Detroit was mentioned, and I'm delighted that Detroit, Detroit is rebounding. But let us understand Detroit was nearly destroyed because of awful trade policy, which allowed yep. corporations to throw workers in this community out on the street as they move to low-wage countries. To win this election and to defeat Donald Trump, which, by the way, in my view, is not going to be easy, we need to have a campaign of energy and excitement and of vision. We need to bring millions of young people 
into the political process in a way that we have never seen by, among other things, making public you, colleges Senator. and universities tuition free and canceling student Thank debt. you, Senator. Thank you, Senator. So all of John Delaney's comments were really put into perspective for me when he was asked a question um, and they mentioned in the question his net worth, which is estimated to be more than $65 million. Yeah. So you have John Delaney on the stage, rich guy, um, talking like a rich guy. <laughs> So when when I when I heard that question, I was like, okay, wow. I it, I think it was like an hour and a half into the debate of the six hours that the, the debate went on. Um, it put everything in context where I I understood John Delaney's perspective a little bit more. It is, I, I completely agree. But it is odd to me when politicians like this, who ostensibly understand the issues that they're talking about refer to Medicaid for all or these health care proposals that are being uh, put forth by the progressive wing as fairy tale economics. They're not fairy tale economics unless Sweden and Finland and Denmark and so many other countries are fairy tale land because single payer health care is has been enacted all over the world all over the industrialized world it's not fairy tale economics especially for the wealthiest country on the planet it's just fucking nonsense scare tactics that this is dead on arrival no it's not now is there a conversation to be had about how to implement it yeah for sure should it be a tiered system where bernie sanders talks later about, you know, you, you lower the age for, of Medicare to 55 and then 45 and then 35 over a period of time. Yeah, we're going to need something like that. It can't be one night you just flip the switch and then everybody's on. That's not how it works. We're going to need a a, a, a a breaking in period. And I also don't really appreciate the attitude that this, you know, giving up right away. This isn't something that we can do. This isn't something that people want. Okay. That's when you hear Elizabeth Warren talking about, she uses the word fight all the time, right? She's going to mm-hmm. fight for this. And part of this is educating the public about what your plan is, yeah, how you're going to do it. And if that is convincing, people will be convinced. It, it's not that easy in a lot of cases, but that plays an important role. And I keep hearing that people say these things, right? Like during the debate and even after the debate. That the Democrats are ripping each other apart. Yeah. Okay. No, we need to have this period where they are criticizing these policies, having this conversation, having an open conversation so that people can be convinced, right? If we go into this thinking there's no chance for anyone else other than Joe Biden to beat Donald Trump, why would we go in right now thinking that? When we have all of this time to try to convince people otherwise. That's a, the fucking point a, of the primary. A vast panoply of different proposals. And many... Pl- that's that's what I like hearing from, from Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. versus people like John Delaney. Yeah. Which is, I've got all these things. That won't work. That won't work. That's terrible. That's a bad idea. Right, right. Rather than, here's what I think we should do. 
Yes. Here's my plan. Yes. What the fuck is your plan, John Delaney? Because I can tell you this, Elizabeth Warren has a long laundry list of detailed plans on her website that you can go read that she's ready to put into action on day one as president. And She doesn't just sit there and cherry pick and complain about everybody else's view. She has solutions, and so does Bernie, for that matter. Yeah, and I will say the issue with healthcare, the reason that it's taking up so much time is because it is one of the issues that Americans care about the most. Yeah. In fact, it might be at the top of the list. And there is some concern here about how to go about implementing a Medicare for all system. You hear a divide within the party, um, whether it should replace private insurance or whether there should be an option to also have people retain their private insurance. Um, that is primarily the divide. And you have people like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, who want to replace the private insurance. And then you have people like Joe Biden and probably everybody else. Amy Klobuchar. Um, who, John Delaney. Who want the what's called Medicare for all who choose it plan, mm-hmm. um, allowing the private insurance. Look, I think there is a valid, legitimate conversation to be had about that. Absolutely. Especially related to how people will be afraid. Um, you remember how the Republicans really went after President Obama for if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Yeah. And then when that didn't end up being the case, they lied about it. Uh, Obama lied about it. Then they knew you wouldn't be able to keep your doctor. And he kept saying it. Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah. Well, and I, I, li- I, this is something that made me unhappy about the debate when they started asking questions about, is this going to raise taxes on the middle class? And they kept answering it by saying, well, the you know overall costs will be offset. Yeah. And it's like, listen, just be straightforward. Just give people the information. Yes, taxes will be raised on the middle class. But here, let me tell you where you're going to get cuts in other areas. What, what? You know, be transparent <laughs> that, about that, it. That question came to Elizabeth Warren, what she should have done rather than dodge the question, which she dodged. And I was very unhappy about it. It was shitty. What she should have done is say, Bernie, you tell him. Because Bernie tells it the best way. Yeah, taxes are going to go up on the middle class. Taxes are going to go up. But your overall output of money is going to be dramatically decreased because you won't have the insurance premiums and co-pays and out-of-pocket costs related to health care. And also, people won't be stranded having GoFundMe pages trying to save their life. But that's another story. Um, right. So I, I do want to give numbers, though, because a new Marist College poll, actually, they just did a survey of yeah. Americans on this issue. Um, they surveyed 1,346 adults, and this was conducted between July 15th and July 17th, so pretty recent, um, before the debates, though. That's important to note. Um, and this was about the well, many things, but I'm going to talk about specifically Americans who support Medicare for all the two different plans. So Medicare for all replacing private insurance, 41% of Americans uh, believe that that's a good idea. And Medicare for all who choose it still allowing that option for private insurance, 70% of Americans overall in this poll uh, support that. So you see a wide disparity there. Sure. And I think that it is because of the fear. And possibly some of that fear stemming from the episode of if you love your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Right? Sure, sure. I think there's also some of it because I have some of those fears. Mm-hmm. Because if 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 single payer health care is going to be like my VA coverage, mm-hmm. you can shove it right up your ass. Because my VA coverage is fucking horseshit. Mm-hmm. My VA medical care is terrible. Yeah. 
I don't like my doctor. I don't want to keep her. Mm-hmm. I don't like long waits. Yeah. I'm having severe pain in my arms months ago, and it takes me months to get an appointment. Yeah. I need some kind of pain remedy. Nope. Take some ibuprofen. They don't even give it to me. Mm-hmm. You just go and get some. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the way it's going to be, no good. Mm-hmm. But if they figure out a way to fix it, then yes, let's move forward. But let's have the conversation before going forward. Anyway, is there more numbers? Well, no, I just wanted to give the overall support from this Marist College poll because I think a lot of people are concerned that if there is a candidate who is too progressive, I'm having issues because I just... um, ate a spicy breakfast burrito before this, which is not a good idea. Sorry. Um, that wasn't on the list of sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It did have chicken in it, though. So. All right. But people are concerned that if a, a candidate who is too progressive is put up against Trump, that Medicare for all is something that is going to scare away voters. Well, certainly when you take into the account what the what the uh, the rhetoric will be. They're going to amp up the fear on the other side. Right. And, but we're, we, our messaging needs to be stronger. Yes. And I I just I'm I'm not enjoying a lot of the defeatist attitudes that I'm hearing. Yeah. And the people who are saying we need to back away from criticizing the Democratic candidates. I mean, this is the time, you guys. This yeah. is the time. And we need to have the strongest person possible to go up against Donald Trump. And if, if you need a reminder... Go back and watch the debates with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. If you need a reminder for how things are going to go and the type of person that we need, okay, yeah. go watch those. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that next uh, for the next debate because I really want to drive that home about Joe Biden. Everybody thinking he's the he's the the savior here mm-hmm. when he's flipping and flopping, and I don't mean like his positions. I mean like a fish have no. He's out of water. Doesn't know what he's doing. He's being worked by every angle. What do you think it's going to be like when Donald Trump takes him on? Anyway, that's for that's for the next segment when we do the second night. You led me right to it, though, about criticizing other Democratic candidates and yeah. that being the way forward. We have to. Right. You have to distinguish between two different people and their views. Who's the best out of 35? So Amy Klobuchar has been on the record as saying that all these people are just making promises that they're not going to keep only to get elected. Which is fine to say that. But when you're called out, called directly out on it and say, well, who is doing that? And then you cower. Yeah. And you fucking hide under the podium and you're not able to step up and be an adult. That's a problem. I want to bring in. I want to bring in Senator Klobuchar at the beginning of the night. You said you're going to hear a lot of promises on the stage. And previously you have said when asked about your primary opponents, quote, a lot of people are making promises, and I'm not going to make promises just to get elected. Who on the stage is making promises just to get elected? Everyone wants to get elected. But my point is this. I think when we have a guy in the White House that has now told over 10,000 lies, that we better be very straightforward with the American people. And no, do I think that we are going to end up voting for a plan that kicks half of America off of their current insurance in four years? No, I don't think we're going to do that. I think there is a better way to get what we all want to see, which is lower costs for health care. Do I think that we're going to vote to give free college to the wealthiest kids? No, I, I don't think we're going to do that. So that's what I'm talking about. But what I don't like about this argument right now, what I don't like about it at all, is that we are more worried about winning an argument than winning an election. 
And I think how we win an election is to bring everyone with us. And yes, I am one in a state every single time statewide. I have won those congressional districts that Donald Trump won by over 20 points. He just targeted Minnesota last week. And I've done it by getting out there and talking to people, by knowing rural issues and Thank farm you, issues, Klobuchar. and bringing metro people with me in the state Thank that you, had Senator the Klobuchar. highest voter turnout Thank in the you, country. Senator. I want to bring That's Congressman O'Rourke. Uh, so she, she says, he asked the question, she says, well, everybody wants to get elected. That wasn't the question. Mm-hmm. The very next thing she says is, we have to be very straight with the American people. Well, then why don't you start being straight with the American people? If you're not strong, if you're, listen, if you're so brave when you're um, amongst your supporters on the campaign trail and you say, listen, everybody else is making promises just to get elected, but not me. Mm-hmm. And then when you're asked on a national stage, well, you're standing among these people. Mm-hmm. Start naming some names. Who's doing that? Yeah, if it's really a problem. Yeah, you're making that claim when you're when you're among your people, when you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Why don't you be an adult? Be brave enough to say, well, I think Bernie is doing that. I think Elizabeth Warren is doing that. But she she didn't. Well, and it invalidates her point, right? Absolutely. Because if she's not actually willing to name a person, well, then that tells me that no one's doing that. Because it's just nebulous. If it's a real problem for you, and that would be a real problem, right? You think someone's running for president and they're promising things that they won't be able to pull off? Or they're only promising so they get elected. Yeah, come on. I mean, that's serious stuff. Yeah. You want to be naming names, right? You want to yeah. protect us, right, Amy? Come on. <laughs> So the other attempted zinger of the night. Oh, I love attempted zingers. Yeah. Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan. Come on, Tim Ryan. What is happening? (laughs) I don't know. That guy. This guy who really, why is this guy not running as a Republican? Well, you say that now, but wait till he's in the debates in September. Oh, right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So he has this exchange with Bernie and, and it's. Like every there's like the Elizabeth Warren line that didn't come to her in the moment. That was for sure a planned thing. She's like, I don't know why anybody would run for president when they're only t- concerned about what we can't do and what we can't try for. Well, that's that was, but, but she did it pretty fluid. You know what I mean? I think it probably came to her. Yeah, right. So Tim Ryan has another one of these where he's, well, he's just not he's not good at delivering it. It, it came across as a canned scripted line. Because he almost says something else, and then, anyway, it's it's just a fucking mess. Congressman Ryan, yep. we are here in Michigan, yep. where there are about 180,000 workers in auto manufacturing. Your state of Ohio has around 96,000 workers in that industry. Senator Sanders is co-sponsoring a bill that would eliminate new gas-powered car sales by 2040. Given the number of auto manufacturing workers in your state, how concerned are you about Senator Sanders' plan? Well, if we get our act together, we won't have to worry about it. I, I, my plan is to create a chief manufacturing officer so we could actually start making things in the United States again that would pull the government, the Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, work with the private sector, work with investors, emerging tech companies to dominate the electric vehicle market. China dominates it now, 50 to 60 percent. I want us to dominate the battery market, make those here in the United States and cut the workers in on the deal. The charging stations, solar panels, same thing. China dominates 60 percent of the solar panel market. So this person will work in the White House, report directly to me, and we're going to start making things again. But you cannot get there on climate unless we talk about agriculture. We need to convert our industrial agriculture system 
over to a sustainable and regenerative agriculture system that actually sequesters carbon into the soil. And you can go ask, you can go ask Gabe Brown and, and Alan Williams who actually make money off of regenerative agriculture. So we can move away from all the subsidies that we're giving the farmers. They haven't made a profit in five years and we can start getting good food into our schools and into our communities. That's gonna drive healthcare down. That's another part of the healthcare conversation that we didn't even have. How do we start Thank talking you, about Ryan. health instead of just disease care? Thank you, Senator Sanders, your response? I get a little bit tired of Democrats afraid of big ideas. Republicans are not afraid of big ideas. They could give a trillion dollars in tax breaks to billionaires and profitable corporations. They could bail out the crooks on Wall Street. So please don't tell me that we cannot take on the fossil fuel industry and nothing happens unless we do that. Here is the bottom line. We gotta ask ourselves a simple question. What do you do with an industry that knowingly, for billions of dollars in short-term profits, is destroying this planet? I say that is criminal Thank activity you. that cannot be allowed Thank to continue. Thank you, Senator well, Sanders. Congressman, your response. Well, yeah, I would, I would just say, I didn't say we couldn't get there till 2040, Bernie. You don't have to yell. I mean, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is we have to invent our way out of this thing. And if we're waiting for 2040 for a ban to come in on gasoline vehicles, we're screwed. So we better get busy now. And that's why I'm saying get a chief manufacturing officer, align the environmental incentives with the financial incentives and make sure that people can actually make money off of the new technologies that are moving forward. And then here's what I'll do as Thank president, you, cut the worker in on the deal. Make sure these are union jobs and I will double union membership to make sure that these new jobs pay with the old fossil fuel jobs. Senator pay. Sanders, your response. Look, on this issue, my friends, there is no choice. We have got to be super aggressive if we love our children and if we want to leave them a planet that is healthy and is habitable. So I don't disagree with Tim. What that means is we gotta A, take on the fossil fuel industry. B, it means we have to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy and a hell of a lot of good union jobs as we do that. We gotta transform our transportation Thank you, system, and we have to lead the world Thank you, Senator this Sanders. is not just an American issue. Governor Bullock, your response. Let me, let me say this. One, the whole you don't have to yell was a canned line, and we know that because only minutes later, there were stickers for sale on his website, you don't have to yell, Tim Ryan 2020. Great marketing team. But, <laughs> but, but, but let me say this, as someone who does and is fond of yelling, what the fuck are you supposed to do when when Bernie Sanders isn't being isn't using hyperbole when he says if we're if we love our children and we want to leave them a healthy and that next word is what matters habitable we're at the point that we are talking about whether or not the earth is habitable for future generations like Venus is not habitable for human life. Mars is not habitable for human life. This is the only motherfucking planet we have. And when we're at the place where we're talking about whether or not it's going to be habitable in just a few years. 
I'm glad we have someone who's willing to yell about it. Tim Ryan, you're fucking nonsense. Well, and I think all of the union talk was is also related to Tim Ryan. Um, Tim Ryan is referring to the white working class people. Right. He's an Ohio guy who voted for Donald Trump and Clinton um, underperformed Barack Obama in polling union workers. That's because she's a terrible candidate. She was very unlikable. Right. So I think he's trying to move in that direction or at least trying to put some attention on that issue um, that, hey, we need to appeal to white working class voters who voted for Donald Trump. I think that that's what he's getting at. Yeah. Well, I mean, we need to appeal to everybody, but a lot of time has been spent over the course of this, this country's history worrying about the white middle class man. A lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they need to be ignored, but we don't need to pay, coddle them and pay special attention to them. We're fine. Let's get our priorities in order. Well, I, I also think that. Um from Warren and the Sanders perspective that they think the labor movement is kind of moving in like a progressive working class direction, possibly in some ways. Um, You also have things like the poor people's campaign, which is growing in number and popularity, um, trying to highlight issues for people who are in poverty and the working class. So, I, I don't think it's just about focusing on the white working class voters who voted for Trump. I think it's making a turn toward people who are in poverty, people who are struggling. And that means everybody, yeah. right? Everyone who's living in poverty who cannot afford to buy food if they have um, a medical bill that they need to pay that month or if their car happens to break down, right? Something that costs $400 and they can't afford that, yeah. right? Um, almost 50% of Americans are in that situation. So we need to focus just on that generally, right? And these policy- policies should be speaking to that specifically. Yeah. Also, there's, there's, a, there's a great opportunity here not just as a campaign slogan or a talking point, but also as a policy measure to lift those same people out of their current economic status into the middle class. Talk about a revitalization of our economy and 4%, 6% GDP growth. That would do it. Lifting people out of poverty into the working middle class. Anyway, continuing on the subject of these Democrats who are are criticizing Democrats, talking about how Democrats are part of the problem. We're going to go to Bullock, the governor of uh, Montana. Governor Bullock, your response. You know, all of us agree that we have to address climate change. No one on this stage is talking about, though, the Republicans won't even acknowledge that climate change is real, Dana. And that's because of the corrupting influence of money. That has been the fight of my career. And second of which... As we transition to this clean energy economy, you got to recognize there are folks that have spent their whole life powering our country. And far too often, Democrats sound like they're part of the problem. we got to make sure to aid in those transitions as we get to a carbon-neutral world, which I think we can Thank do by 2040. Thank you, Governor. Just to clarify, who is part of the problem? 
Who? Oh, no, I, I think Democrats often when they're saying, oh, these fossil fuel industries, these workers, those coal miner workers, look, the world's changing. We got to make it change. But I think Democrats often sound like the people that, as Congressman Ryan would say, shower at the end of the day, that they're part of the problem. And far too many communities are being left behind as we make this transition. Look, we're having this discussion and we can talk about competing Thank plans. Thank you, Governor. I want to give I Senator Sanders a chance to respond. Look, Steve, there ain't nobody in the Congress who's more strongly pro-worker than I am. So when I talk about taking on the fossil fuel industry, what I am also talking about is a just transition. All right. We can create and what the Green New Deal is about. It's a bold idea. We can create millions of good paying jobs. We can rebuild communities in rural America that have been devastated. So we are not anti-worker. No. We are going to provide, make sure that those workers have a transition, yeah. new jobs, health care and education. And look, Governor Bullock, your response? And look, Bernie, I was a union side labor lawyer. I fought day after day. And I know, but we set this up as a false choice far too often. Are we going to actually address climate change? Fire seasons are 80 days longer in the West now. Or are we going to give people a better shot at a better life? You can do both, yes. but let's actually have the scientists drive this. Let's not just talk about plans that are written for press releases, but we'll go nowhere else if we can't even get a Republican to Thank acknowledge you, that the climate's changing. Did you hear that? He's talking about the only way we're going to be able to solve any problem is if we convince all the Republicans that climate change exists. Good luck. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the starting point, brother. Mm -hmm. That's an ancillary benefit if you can do it. You got to get control of the government and then you do what you're going to do because you're in the majority. Right. You don't wait until all the Republicans are on board. That's that's a losing that's a losing metric. Mm -hmm. Just fucking nonsense. Yeah. Also, writing checks his mouth can't cash. The Dems are part of the problem. Who's part of the problem? Come on. We should all be adults here. If you say something, you should be able to fucking back it up. There was an interesting article, though, in the New York Times um, yesterday, the second, and it's uh, the title, Climate Could Be an Electoral Time Bomb, Republican Strategist Fear. And it's this idea that young people, young conservatives, are more concerned about climate change than their um, more ancient counterparts. <laughs> And, than the dinosaurs who precede them. Right. And that uh, the New York Times actually had conversations with 10 GOP analysts, consultants, and activists, and they all said that they are actually aware of this rising influence of young voters, young conservative voters who are concerned about climate change. Yeah. And this is interesting because you have Donald Trump, who is a science denier. I mean, he you know stood on the debate stage and talked about the vaccine and the little horse tranquilizer yeah. and the little baby, the beautiful baby. And then windmills cause cancer. Yeah. I mean, he's just, anyway, we get it. So, um, this might be interesting though, having young conservatives yeah. actually wanting to push their party toward scientific consensus and wake up 
and have a realization of their own, right? So I'm not saying that that will come from Steve Bullock. Yeah, right. Or Democrats convincing Republicans. That seems like a long shot. But if the Republicans are concerned about the young people in their party, right? And they are. They want those young people to be voting for them. Yeah, it's what Turning Points USA is. Then that seems like something that can make a change. We will see. So bringing in Pete Buttigieg here, in, in kind of in, in, in reference to what Bullock is talking about, and all these other conservatives who are afraid of big ideas, who are uh, poo-pooing anything that's too bold, too aggressive. And Pete Buttigieg had a great statement on making large structural changes and how not to be afraid of them. Still the conversation that we've been having for the last 20 years. Of course we need to get money out of politics. But when I propose the actual structural democratic reforms that might make a difference, end the Electoral College, amend the Constitution if necessary to clear up Citizens United, have D.C. actually be a state, and depoliticize the Supreme Court with structural reform, people look at me funny, as if this country were incapable of structural reform. Does anybody really think we're going to overtake Citizens United without constitutional action? This is a country that once changed its Constitution so you couldn't drink. And then change it back, because we change our minds about that. And you're telling me we can't reform our democracy in our time? Thank you, Mayor. We have to, or we'll be having the same argument 20 years from now. Please respond, Governor Bullock. You can't make change. And then the other other moment was him kind of addressing uh, Republican Congress people. Mm -hmm. People in the structure of the Republican Party about the racism of Donald Trump and their support for him. When David Duke ran for Congress, whoever ran for governor, the Republican Party 20 years ago ran away from him. Today, they are supporting naked racism in the White House or at best silent about it. And if you are watching this at home and you are a Republican member of Congress, consider the fact that when the sun sets on your career and they are writing your story of all the good and bad things you did in your life, the thing you will be remembered for is whether in this moment with this president, you found the courage to stand up to him or you continue to put party over country. Thank you, Mayor. This was a great moment. Yeah. And another one of those moments where, like you said with uh, Elizabeth Warren's line, I'm sure that he didn't come up with this in the moment. But again, it didn't sound rehearsed. It didn't sound like a political line that he has been repeating a lot. Yeah. Um, and But he also distilled something I've been saying for a long time, far more articulately, than, articulately again, Far more articulately than I've ever been able to say it. Yeah, and a beautiful little poetic soundbite. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, if you're not convinced with some of the arguments we've made about who the better candidates are on the stage, I'm going to leave this particular segment of the show before we go to the mid-roll to someone that you you might take a little heed from. Is who the other side is promoting who the other side is thinking did a great job and who is awesome. Listen to Tucker Carlson the evening after this debate and the things he had to say about those standing on the stage. We've told you in the past that Democratic primary voters don't seem to have much of a choice this year. There are an awful lot of candidates in the race, but all of them seem to have identical far-left positions on the issues that matter, on immigration, climate change, gun control, the economy, you name it. Until yesterday, that was our view. And then we watched last night's Democratic debate, and we're going to have to revise that assessment. It turns out that not everyone in the field is a lunatic. We stand corrected on that. 
In fact, there are a couple of sane ones. Unfortunately, they're getting crushed. Watch, for example, what happened when Congressman Tim Ryan tried to remind his fellow Democrats that most Americans don't actually support open borders, much less giving free taxpayer-funded health care to foreign nationals who break our laws. Ryan suddenly became the most unpopular kid at the party. Watch. Now, in this discussion already tonight, we... Now, I'm going to pause the clip. I didn't include this clip because Tucker did. But listen to what Tim Ryan, Democrat, running for President of the United States, trying to get the Democratic nomination for his party. Listen to what he says about what we can't do. How he criticizes Democratic policy but wants the nomination of the party, stands in stark opposition to most of the people running for president, and then stands to get the most praise and adulation from Tucker Carlson, white supremacist Tucker Carlson from Fox News. We've talked about taking private health insurance away from union members in the industrial Midwest. We've talked about decriminalizing the border. And we've talked about giving free health care to undocumented workers when so many Americans are struggling to pay for their health care. I, quite frankly, don't think that that is a, an agenda that we can move forward on and win. We've got to talk about the working class issues, the people that take a shower after work who haven't had a raise Thank in you. 30 years. You, if we focus on them, we'll win the election. Thank you, Congressman. I want to bring Congressman O'Rourke. Your response, sir? Not a lot of applause. In fact, dead silence. It turns out the Democrats in the room didn't want to talk about working class issues or people, as Tim Ryan put it, who take a shower after work. Progressives wrote those voters off as disgusting a long time ago. They're poor, they're uneducated, and yet at the same time, they are deeply privileged. It goes without saying that they must be racist, every single one of them. Tim Ryan is probably racist for thinking about them. The modern Democratic Party has zero use for these kind of people. They've been excluded from the emerging Al Sharpton private equity coalition that defines the Democratic Party. So apparently is anyone who cares about what voters think. Several times last night, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders personally attacked any candidate who dared point out there might be a limit to how many unpopular ideas you can impose on a nation that's supposed to be a democracy. The very idea that you'd have to win popular support for your policies seemed to enrage them, Warren especially. At one point, they all but accused a CNN anchor of being a secret Republican plant. Probably the first time that's ever happened. Now, I'm going to pause it again. Listen to the language he just used. That Elizabeth Warren was enraged. Mm -hmm. He's painting her as this unhinged, hysterical maniac. Mm -hmm. Listen to Elizabeth Warren. You do not support Medicare for all. Is Senator Warren correct? Do you just not lack the will to fight for it? Jake, your question is a Republican talking point. What you want to do instead is find the Republican talking point of a made-up piece of some other part and say, oh, we don't really have to do anything. We should stop using Republican talking points in order to talk with each other about how to best provide that health care. So what you just saw that last clip, that really was the story of the whole night. Elizabeth Warren jumping up and down and barking at anyone who asked too many questions or seemed insufficiently left-wing. 
Now, not everything Elizabeth Warren says is wrong. We actually like her views on manufacturing and trade, for example. They're smart. And we've said so repeatedly on this show. We're not partisan, actually. But holy smokes, is Warren unbearable in a lot of ways. Pedantic, dishonest, nasty as hell. This is blatant sexism. Yeah. And it's very sloppy as well. Because if you're going to do this, then why include those sound bites of Bernie Sanders, who's clearly louder than Elizabeth Warren? Yeah. Um, if you're going to attach the word enraged to it, he's the one who's yelling. Okay. Which is just what Na- that's just how nasty. he talks. She's nasty. Just how he talks. Nasty as hell. Yeah. But instead of, he didn't even, he played clips of Bernie Sanders yelling. And didn't even which, talk about which him. really aren't even him yelling. It's just Bernie being Bernie. Yeah, it's how he talks. But <laughs> but you know it's louder, and it seems like it's yelling for sure. Um, and especially when you juxtapose it with Elizabeth Warren talking, who's metered, professorial, yeah, nasty. Yeah, nasty as hell. Barking like a dog. Yeah. He's he's talking like Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. And also, by the way, I think what he was trying to do was, and I don't know. This doesn't really make sense because these certainly isn't the people that are watching Tucker Carlson's show. But it's almost like he's saying, centrist Democrats, there's no home for you yeah. in that party anymore. Yeah. Did you see? They weren't. They didn't applaud. They- well, also, let's say this. Uh, he probably didn't get a lot of applause because there were only really applause breaks for the major candidates. But he cut the clip. Cut it off. So you don't you don't know if there was any applause because they cut the clip. Yeah, but he's still trying to use these appeals to emotion and yeah. say, there's no home for you in this party anymore. You see? Yeah. Come to Trump's Republican Party. You're less like them than you are like the other team. Yeah. Right? You see how unreasonable they've become in your party? Yeah. Why don't you come on over to our side? What seems unreasonable to me is the fact that Fox News... A massive media conglomerate seems unable to find someone who can read from a fucking teleprompter correctly. Him and Judge Janine, fucking Tommy Laren, all these people. What is happening? Fucking ding-dongs. Anyway, we would love your thoughts on the first night. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it. At dollamore.com, we definitely want to hear what your thoughts are, especially if you dissent. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We appreciate you guys so much, each and every one of you, whether you support us on Patreon or you shop through the Amazon link, dollamore.com slash Amazon, or you donate to us on PayPal through the dollamore.com website. Um, even if you listen to the show every single time yeah. and you don't send money our way, we appreciate that so much that you take time. Tell a friend. Out of your life. Yeah. To listen to us and sometimes even communicate with us. 
that means so much to us. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show in other ways, you can like our Facebook page, which is approaching 11,000 likes, yeah. which is really exciting. I doubt it with Dollamore Podcast on Facebook. You can also follow all of us on Twitter, all of us being the podcast at I Doubt It Podcast at Brittany Page and at Dollamore. Yeah. Yeah. Some and Twitter action. By the way, uh, pretty great medium. Yeah, it's, it's the best. Twitter's the best. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> it can also be the worst. Yeah. We also <laughs> wanted to say that um, at the end of this next week, we will be back in, in a studio space. So we, you know, have kind of been running a, a skeleton crew is what I was going to say, but it's always just us well, doing the, everything. So the, I don't. The operation certainly haphazard because we're in a tiny space that we have to break down to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we have to put everything back up to do the videos. Video, like we're doing one, a bunch of shit in one tiny, tiny space. Yeah. And we're, it's not going to be that way anymore. We're going to have right. an entire, you know, a, a couple hundred, few hundred square feet to you know, have a dedicated place to do this podcast, a dedicated place to do the videos. And it makes it a lot easier. We're, we're, we're planning a lot of great stuff, even for the YouTube side of things, that might also include and incorporate the podcast. So right. ah, it's going to be good. Yeah, we're really excited. And again, we wouldn't be able to do that without your support. So yeah. we appreciate you guys so much. And thank you for hanging in there with us. Yeah, we love you guys. So let's let's get back at it with night two. Uh, night two's lineup. Do you have it ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bennett. Again, he- again, when you're staring at the stage, left to right, this is how they were. Because that, that matters. Because yeah. the center stage, you've got Kamala. You've got Kamala. God, fuck these names. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were right in the middle. But go ahead and name the names. Yeah, so Michael Bennett, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, Joseph R. Biden Jr., Kamala Harris, <laughs> Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, and Bill de Blasio. Yes. So it started right away. And I think they got into the healthcare thing too. But there really was a a pitting of candidates against one another. It was so blatant on the part of CNN yeah, that you lame. it was so obvious that they were trying to get another Kamala Biden moment. For almost the first hour at one point I started tweeting because they were ignoring Cory Booker. Yeah. Completely. Yes. And it was just back and forth for several rounds between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Yeah, it was like they weren't getting anything yet. And so they were like, let's just keep going until we get something, yeah. some sort of soundbite that can be played. I was very disappointed with, well, not only the way CNN handled the debate structurally right. and the broadcast of it, yeah. but also the digital rights. I mean, that's why we're late here is because of the fact that it is like, I know they release a podcast, yeah. but if I'm just watching it on TV and not taking notes for time. Which like you we weren't used. this time. That's right, because I haven't had to do that. Right, because it's normally on YouTube. It, they just throw a bunch of clips on YouTube, all right. the best moments, and that's not the way it is. Right, so right. we're going to have to go back to doing a lot of prep work, a lot of pre-production work going forward. Where we sit there and write the times down. Just in case, yeah. because I'm not going to listen to a three-hour debate yeah. and then listen to another three, the same debate again. Yeah. Which means six hours of debate when you got two different nights. Right, right, right. It just, it's, I, I'm just let me whine a little bit, everybody. I'm <laughs> complaining. So anyway, let's get to this. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris 
Kamala Harris, Kamala, Kamala, Kamala Harris. Um, on her record now, see the, the table kind of turned. Before it was Kamala Harris uh, talking about Joe Biden and busing. Now it's the other way. Joe Biden on her record as Attorney General of California. When Senator Harris was the Attorney General for eight years in the state of California, there were two of the most segregated school districts in the country, in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. And she did not, I didn't see a single solitary time she brought a case against them to desegregate them. Secondly, she also was in a situation where she had a police department when she was there that in fact was abusing people's rights. And the fact was that she in fact was told by her own people that her own staff, that she should do something about and disclose to defense attorneys like me that you, in fact, have been the police officer did something that did not give you information that would exculpate your 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 uh, client. She didn't do that. She never did it. And so what happened? Along came a federal judge and said enough, enough. And he freed Thank a you. thousand of these people. If you doubt me, Google a thousand prisoners freed Kamala Harris. Thank you, uh, Vice President Biden. And Senator Harris, your response. That this is simply not true. And as attorney general of California, where I ran the second largest department of justice in the United States, second only to the United States Department of Justice, I am proud of the work we did, work that has received national recognition for what has been the important work of reforming a criminal justice system and cleaning up the consequences of the bills that you passed when you were in the United States Senate for decades. It was the work of creating the fir- one of the first in the nation initiatives around reentering former offenders and getting them jobs and counseling. Thank you, I did the work as attorney general of putting body you, cameras on special agents in, in the state of California, Ga- I, and I'm I wanna, proud of that work. I want to bring in Congresswoman Gabbard. I, I don't know that I understand that Kamala has no other choice but to try to defend her record, right, from the attacks. Yeah, but she's she's not being honest here when yeah. she says that is just not true. It is true. Well, also, I I do think her response to each criticism that she received from the other candidates was not strong enough. No. It just wasn't. And I think, like her criticism of Joe Biden, where she wants him to admit how he was wrong in the past. Yeah. She's refusing to do that. That needs to be what she does. Yeah. She needs to admit that she was also wrong in the past, that there's problems with her record, what she has learned from that experience um, in order to implement those new lessons going forward. Right. The the, the mistakes of my past will make me a better president. Right. Because I've learned. I've grown. I've developed a better uh, understanding of how things work and I, I've, I've incorporated that into what I do. Right. She's not doing that, though. She's doing exactly what Joe Biden does, which is, I'm not racist. He's being racist. I don't need to apologize. He needs to apologize to me. She's doing the same thing. So you heard at the end of the clip there, they're trying to go to Tulsi Gabbard to, re- to, re- to respond about this. What's interesting about this, let me give Brittany a little, a little kudos. Mm-hmm. You... The night before the debates were like, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard is going to get a moment. She's going to, in order to break out, she's going to have to go after Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. And fucking sure enough, you were right. Yeah. I want to bring in Congresswoman Gabbard. Congresswoman Thank Gabbard, you. you took issue with <laughs> Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a quote false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system. 
that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about reentering former offenders and getting them counseling. It is why, and because I know that criminal justice Thank system you, is Senator. so broken, that I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to not your, only your decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to I bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in. You're responsible. The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Senator Harris. <laughs> My entire career, I have been opposed, personally opposed to the death penalty, and that has never changed. And I dare anybody who is in a position to make that decision, to face the people I have faced to say, I will not seek the death penalty. That is my background. That is my work. I am proud of it. I think you can judge people by when they are under fire, and it's not about some fancy opinion on a stage, but when they're in the position to actually make a decision, what do they do? When I was in the position of having to decide whether or not to seek a death penalty on cases I prosecuted, I made a very difficult decision that was not popular to not seek the death penalty. History shows that, and I am proud of those decisions. Senator Harris, thank you very much. So while I do believe that Kamala Harris's record deserves criticism, I will caution people to be skeptical when it comes from Tulsi Gabbard. And the reason that I say this is, one, um, PolitiFact went through these claims and found several problems with many of the claims that she made in Mm -hmm. criticizing her record. And part of that comes from the fact that Tulsi Gabbard is a favorite among the more conservative, sympathetic types like Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Um, in fact, the she's also a uh, Bashar al-Assad apologist. Right. So the stat that she referenced there in her first criticism where she said Harris, quote, put over 1500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Now, it's certainly a problem that. Kamala Harris laughed about it, right? That it's a joke and um, that people's lives have been ruined because they had marijuana on them. They were selling marijuana and now it's become like 
the designer drug for white rich people that they can buy at um, Nordstrom or wherever they sell it now. Yeah, yeah, makeup and shit. Yeah, they well, no, they sell it like at some one of those stores, one of those rich people stores. You know, I I forgot which one it is. Oh, Saks or something. Yeah, something like that. You can go in and and buy weed. Anyway, the claim that number Politifact tracked it to the Free Beacon. It was in an article from the Free Beacon, which is a conservative online news website. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a daily caller or a daily wire. Right. So ugh. also as attorney general, Harris would not have personally prosecuted marijuana cases. Uh, those cases would have been handled by lower level state attorneys. Right. She was the DA of San Francisco, though. I mean, so she would have had a chance to do that. But listen, it is tone deaf as fuck to go on Charlemagne the God's radio show. And then when asked about having smoked pot, laugh and make the joke. We played it on the show before. Oh, yeah. And uh, by the way, I did inhale. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Tone deaf as fuck. Well, especially when you're not out there as a champion, again, for people who are sitting in prison. Yeah. Um, when this is something that is now legal in several yeah. states. The other thing that I don't like is the fact that she asked when she's being confronted. What? Listen, Google Kevin Cooper, Kamala Harris. A man to who to this day sits on death row after having been framed by police. There is loads of evidence that he was framed Uh, the audience knows i'm not some bleeding heart Uh, they're all innocent i don't believe that i believe kevin cooper is innocent and kamala harris had the opportunity to have the, the, the the evidence reviewed in the case and denied him that opportunity and only after other people made the decision did she say yeah yeah that's a good idea She's not facing that fact. And when talk when, when they bring this up, I don't know why they're not saying the name Kevin Cooper so people can go look it up themselves. But when faced with it, she says, I'm against the death penalty. That's not what we're saying. No one's charging that you are for the death penalty. We're saying that you are allowing or you allowed a man to not get his day of justice who's sitting, languishing, on death row for a crime he likely did not commit. Not good. Well, I want I want to say that someone, and this is unfortunate. That's the unfortunate thing about the debates is that there's never enough time. The moderators are interrupting the answers. No one can finish what they're saying. And so, yes, Kamala needs to have her record looked at more deeply. But also, Tulsi. <laughs> needs to be asked about her comments regarding Bashar al-Assad. Right. And that's the problem with the structure of the debate. Yeah, because she's not important enough for anyone to give a shit, but she just crossed the the donor threshold to make it into the September debate. Now, she probably won't make it into the polling threshold, but... You know, and I guess it's it's when she does make it, if she does make it into the next one, then they can offer more scrutiny and spend more time on this. Fewer candidates, more time. Right. But it, it just seems like Kamala gets to be the one that wrestles with all the controversy as Tulsi gets to have the second most Twitter followers gained that night. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't seem, I don't know, equitable. It, it just seems a little off. There wasn't enough criticism across candidates it seemed to just be focused in one or two places yeah well listen it, if, if i have other other criticisms of uh 
of Tulsi Gabbard, it would be the fact that she acts like she's some kind of world-class foreign relations expert because she wore the uniform and served in combat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you an expert in foreign relations. It doesn't give you the chops to go over there and try to negotiate to sit down at a table with a brutal, genocidal fucking murderer in Bashar al-Assad and then come back and make excuses. She's the female version of Trump with his dealings with goddamn Kim Jong-un. So can we dispense with this whole she's a, a legitimate candidate? And I'm not even bringing up all of the old horrible anti-human rights stances that she used to have related to gays. I'm not even talking about that. People can change their minds. That was long enough ago. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just a few years ago. She's not viable. She's not legitimate. Come on. Anyway, we're going to move on. Um, the onslaught against Joe Biden continued. Uh, they went into this immigration talk. And again, this really does, it highlights some of the differences in the Democratic Party on immigration and also highlights some of the similarities between some of these old guard Democrats and what's going on right now. Vice President Biden. In the first two years of the Obama administration, nearly 800,000 immigrants were deported, far more than during President Trump's first two years. Would the higher deportation rates resume if you're a president? Absolutely not, number one. Number two, everything landed on the president's despot locus. I found that, Julian, excuse me, the secretary, we sat together in many meetings. I never heard him talk about any of this when he was the secretary. Please be respectful. Please be respectful in the crowd. Please continue, Mr. Vice President. The fact is, the fact is, I don't know if you can hear, I can hear, but anyway. We can hear fine, Mr. Vice President. Please continue if you will. The fact is, what the senator from New York talked about is seeking asylum. That woman, the women she spoke to are entitled to asylum. That is not crossing the border illegally. What we should do is flood the zone to make sure we have people to make those decisions quickly. With regard to, with regard to the secretary's point, I already proposed and passed $750 million for Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras to be able to change the circumstance why people fled in the first place. In addition to that, we're in a circumstance where if, in fact, you say you can just cross the border, what do you say to all those people around the world who, in fact, want the same thing to come to the United States and make their case, but they don't, that they have to wait in line? The fact of the matter is you should be able to If you cross the border illegally, you should be able to be sent back. It's a crime. It's a crime. And it's not one that, in fact. Thank thank you, Mr. Vice President. Secretary Castro, please. uh, First of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. Let me begin by telling you. Let me just start out by answering that question. My immigration plan would also fix the broken legal immigration system because we do have a problem with that. Secondly, the only way that we're going to guarantee that these kinds of family separations don't happen in the future is that we need to repeal this law. There's still going to be consequences if somebody crosses the border. It's a civil action. Also, we have 654 miles of fencing. We have thousands of personnel at the border. We have 
uh, planes, we have Secretary, boats, we have helicopters, we have security Secretary cameras. Castro, what we need you. are politicians that actually have some guts on this issue. Thank you, Secretary. Mr. Vice President, please, your response. I have guts enough to say his plan doesn't make sense. Here's the deal. The fact of the matter is that, in fact, when people cross the border illegally, it is illegal to do it unless they're seeking asylum. People should have to get in line. That's the problem. And the only reason this particular part of the law is being abused is because of Donald Trump. We should defeat Donald Trump and end this practice. Yeah, people should have to get in line. Way to go, Joe Biden. This is I'm going to go to the next clip quickly here, but it is the conversation continues. Yang to Booker back to Biden on immigration. And it seems that Andrew Yang and Joe Biden are talking about immigration from the standpoint of wealthy, educated um People who would qualify for what's called an O visa or an outstanding visa where you have some special skill or education or talent or ability. Those are the people they're focusing on. Not the true drivers of the economy who are lower income people who come to work in service jobs, work in agricultural jobs. Jobs that create a deficit in employment because Americans don't want to do those fucking jobs. They're completely... Those people need to fucking get in line. But if you got an advanced degree, bring it on. Come on. Where have you heard that talking point? Yeah. Stephen Miller, 101. Mr. Yang, your response. I'm the son of immigrants myself. My father immigrated here as a graduate student and generated over 65 U.S. patents for GE and IBM. I think that's a pretty good deal for the United States that's the immigration story we need to be telling. We can't always be focusing on some of the, 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 the distressed stories. And if you go to a factory here in Michigan, you will not find wall-to-wall immigrants. You will find wall-to-wall robots and machines. Immigrants are being scapegoated for issues they have nothing to do with in our economy. Thank you, Mr. Yang. Senator Booker, you have a plan that would, quote, virtually eliminate immigration detention. Does that mean that the roughly 55,000 migrants currently in detention would be released into the United States? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to say again tonight, we are playing into Republican hands who have a very different view and they're trying to divide us against each other. I'm listening to the language of my colleagues. No, Mr. Vice President, we are not going to just let people cross the border. An unlawful crossing is an unlawful crossing if you do it in the civil courts or if you do it through the criminal courts. But the criminal courts is what is giving Donald Trump the ability to truly violate the human rights of people coming to our country who no one surrenders their human rights. And so doing it through the civil courts means that you won't need these awful detention facilities that I've been to, seeing children sleeping on pavement, people being put in cages, nursing mothers, small children. This is not necessary. We have seen, using the civil system, piloted programs that have 100% compliance with the civil courts, where people are evaluated. If they have no justifiable reason to be here, they are returned. If they are, like the people I met in Juarez, who were survivors of sexual assault, who we wouldn't even let come and present for asylum. We are butchering our values Senator, and making ourselves Senator Booker, thank safe. you very much. Mr. Vice President, your response. 
I agree with the senator. The asylum process is a real process, and this president is ruining it. It has nothing to do with that section of the law. That's what he's doing, number one. Number two, we should, in fact, and we have proposed and we tried to get past in our administration, and I propose significantly increasing the number of legal immigrants who are able to come. This country can tolerate a heck of a lot more people. And the reason we're the country we are is we've been able to cherry pick from the best of every culture. Immigrants built this country. That's why we're so special. It took courage. It took resilience. It took absolute confidence for them to come. And we should be encouraging Thank people. You. And by the way, anybody who crosses a stage with a, with, a, with a Ph.D. should get a green card for seven years. We should Great. keep them here. Thank you. Thank I you very much, that. Mr. Vice President. Governor Inslee, what's your response? And you hear there at the end with Andrew Yang piping in. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about the best. We want the best from every culture. Mm-hmm. Immigrants built this country. The quote-unquote best of the culture didn't build this country according to that outlook. It was the poor. It was the desperate. It was the huddled masses yearning to be free who built this country. Not a, a fucking just an en masse immigration of people with advanced degrees, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. It seems a very classist, weird... Listen, people with with doctorates and master's degrees, they're not having problems getting into the United States. That's not where the large part of our immigration problem lies. And when Andrew Yang says, we can't always focus on the stories of distress. <laughs> that was such a weird, awkward line. We, we can't, Andrew Yang? You don't want to focus on the fucking children in cages who've been ripped from their parents' arms? Fuck you, Andrew Yang. With you and your dad and his one million patents, a child of privilege, talking about what we can and can't or should and shouldn't focus on. It's fucking bullshit. It is strange. And again, it's something that bothers me about these debates. Um, Well, not these debates because it only happened from one candidate. But when people (laughs) argue, right, and they say, like, my family did this. Yeah. Right. And it's supposed to be some sort of like lesson that everyone takes away because your dad was able to do this. Like everyone can do that. Like, I think the intention that he had there was to say, when people come to this country, this is what they're capable of. Right. But people deserve respect, even if they aren't capable of having even one patent. Right. You know? Right. Right. Um, I'm patentless. Humans are worthy of dignity and respect simply because they exist and they don't and they don't deserve more dignity or respect based on their accomplishment or education right they don't need to have a phd in order to be um given food and shelter and have a safe environment in which to live you know um i mean we put serial rapists and murderers in safe places to live and give them food, you know. But we, um, we can't always focus on the stories of distress, Brittany. Let's let's talk about the stories of hundreds of patents. But this weird idea of like trying to convince people that it's okay to let people into your country because there will be some smart people in there and yeah. people who can really achieve some cool stuff, guys. Like, don't you want to <laughs> let them in? You know, I, I just, I don't think that that is the way to do this, yeah. you know? And it makes me sad, actually, that that they think that that's the most convincing route because people are so callous 
and they can't just be compassionate for the shit that people go through and how hard as fuck life can be. Not only that, but look at our hist- the history of our country. Use it as a guide. Look at your neighbors who are second or third generation Americans and their parents who came here in desperate situations mm-hmm. and bettered our country. Our nation is better because of the immigrants who came here. Those huddled masses that we're talking about. You don't have to talk about highly educated individuals. We don't want a a model of just Norwegians and Scandinavians coming over. Yeah. Well, it's also funny because the same Republicans who want a merit-based immigration system are the same people who call people with degrees elitists who yeah, don't understand right. anything. You know, so you, you just can't win with these people, you know. Yeah, and these and people I think, also being Biden and Yang. I think Pete Buttigieg says, says it best, by the way, and he also repeated that line during the first debate where, listen, they're going to call us radical socialists if we have progressive policies. Yeah. They're going to call us radical socialists if we have centrist policies so we might as well just do what we think is right that's exactly right i I should have grabbed that clip well i I just said it for you i failed i just said it for you quote unquote pete Buttigieg. (laughs) (laughs) well let's move on here again biden in the mix of pretty much every conversation and this is about criminal justice reform Uh, i want to turn now to criminal justice of mr vice president uh, senator booker called your new criminal justice reform plan, quote, an inadequate solution to what is a raging crisis in our country, unquote. Why is Senator Booker wrong? Well, I don't, I think he is wrong. I think we should work together. He has a similar plan. I think that we should change the way we look at prisons. Right now, we're in a situation where when someone is convicted of a, of a drug crime, they end up going to jail and to prison. They should be going to rehabilitation. They shouldn't be going to prison. When in prison, they should be learning to read and write and not just sit in there and learn how to be better criminals. And when they get out of prison, they should be in a situation where they have access to everything they would have had before, including Pell Grants for education, including making sure that they're able to have housing, public housing, including they have all the opportunities that were available to them because we want them to become better citizens. That's the essence of what my plan in detail lays out. I'm happy to discuss it more in detail if the senator want to. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it anyway. I, that's what I think my plan. I know what my plan does. And I think it's not dissimilar to what the senator said. We should be working together on getting things done. Senator Booker, your response. (laughs) Is he okay? I I think he glitched out there for a second. I, uh, you know, I I, I looked at it anyway. I that's what I think my plan. I know what my plan does. And I think. (laughs) Come on now. Wow. Yeah, that guy's going to just crush Donald Trump in the debates. I, 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 uh, well, I think what my plan, no, wait, wait. I know, I know what my plan does. I don't think what I know. Yeah. Dominating Donald Trump. As Donald Trump just fucking makes fun of him and the MAGA morons go crazy. Mm-hmm. What is interesting about this, apart from making fun of Joe Biden, is the fact that what he's proposing, he's like, oh, we, we need to, we need when people get convicted of drug, get well, they we need to do this and this. What he's saying is all of the previous legislation, which had my name on it, that I championed, that I said it's the Biden crime bill, the the, the nineteen eighty eight uh, enhancements for crack cocaine, the sentence enhancements, all of that. We need to reverse all of that. No one's doing a real good job of calling him out for it, though. 
No one's really pinning that on him. Yeah, all of these things that you're saying right now, eh, pretty good. But what they do is reverse the policies that were enacted by you, Joe Biden. The senator want to. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it anyway. I, that's what I think my plan. I know what my plan does. And I think it's not dissimilar to what the senator said. We should be working together on getting things done. Senator Booker, your response? Well, my response is that this is a crisis in our country because we have treated issues of race and poverty, mental health and addiction with locking people up and not lifting them up. And Mr. Vice President has said that since the 1970s, every major crime bill, every crime bill, major and minor, has had his name on it. And sir, those are your words, not, not mine. And this is one of those instances where the house was set on fire and you claimed responsibility for those laws. And you can't just now come out with a plan to put out that fire. We have got to have far more bold action mm-hmm. on criminal justice reform, like having you, true marijuana justice, which means Thank that you, we Senator legalize Booker. it on a federal level Thank you, Senator and reinvest the profits in communities Thank you, that have been Booker. disproportionately targeted by Vice President Biden, I want to give you a chance to respond. The fact is that the bills that the president, that excuse me, the future president here, that 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 the senator is <laughs> talking about, are bills that were passed years ago and they're passed overwhelmingly. Since 2007, I, for example, tried to get the crack powder cocaine totally d- disparity totally eliminated. In 2007, you became mayor, and you had a police department that was. You went out and you hired Rudy Giuliani's guy. You engaged in stop and frisk. You had 75% of those stops reviewed as illegal. You found yourself in the situation where three times as many African-American kids were caught in that chain and caught up. The Justice Department came after you for saying you were, you were engaging in behavior that was inappropriate. And then, in fact, uh, and nothing happened. The entire time you were mayor. Thank you, Sen- uh, Senator Booker. You want to respond? Well, first of all, I'm grateful that he endorsed my presidency already. But I'll yeah. tell you this. It's no secret that I inherited a criminal uh, a police department with massive problems and decades-long challenges. But the head of the ACLU has already said, the head of the New Jersey ACLU, that I put forth national standard-setting accountability. Mr. Not- Vice President, Mr. Vice President, I didn't interrupt you. Please show me that respect, sir. We have a system right now that's broken. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. Because all of the problems that he is talking about that he created, I actually led the bill that got passed into law that reverses the damage that your bills, that you were, frankly, to correct you, Mr. Vice President, you were bragging, calling it the Biden crime bill up till 2015. Vice President Biden. Number one, the bill he talks about is a bill that in my, our administration, we passed. We passed that bill that you added on to. That's the bill, in Mm -hmm. fact, you passed. And the fact of the matter is, secondly, there was nothing done for the entire eight years he was mayor. There was nothing done to deal with the police department that was corrupt. Why did you announce in the first day a zero tolerance policy of stop and frisk and hire Rudy Giuliani's guy in 2007 when I was trying to get rid of the crack cocaine. Um, Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you, need to, you need to come to the city of Newark and see the reforms that we put in place. The New Jersey head of the ACLU has said that I embraced reforms, not just in action, but in deed. Sir, you are trying to shift the view 
from what you created. There are people right now in prison for life, for drug offenses, because you stood up and used that tough on crime, phony rhetoric that got a lot of people elected, but destroyed communities like mine. This isn't about the past, sir. This is about the present right now. I believe in Thank redemption. You, I'm happy you evolved. I want to bring in but Secretary. But you offered no redemption to the people in I want to, prison right now. I want to- so this was like the first debate with Kamala and Joe Biden when Kamala Harris dunked on Joe Biden. This was uh, Cory Booker's moment yeah. to really go at Joe Biden. And I think that Cory Booker was very strong here. When what? he when he finally eventually got a fucking chance to talk, yeah, yeah, yes, they did not. Very bothered, still bothered by it. Yeah, they didn't let him talk enough. That is certainly the case. Um, but when he did, I think it was a strong showing. And there are things about Cory Booker's record again that he he needs to address. But I really like Cory Booker's story, and I am a fan of him. And you know, as the mayor of Newark, he moved into a um, housing project. Yeah. I mean, and, who does that? And he, like, had to carry water up several flights of stairs when he needed water. Yeah. And as a sitting member of the United States Senate, he was in it, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think that you do that just for fun, you know? Yeah, because no, the cameras aren't following you. Carry yeah. the water up the stairs. You're, yeah. you're doing it because you care about your community. Yeah. It seems pretty legitimate to me. Yeah. And he was in his community spending time there, getting to know the people. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, but I, I do hope that in future debates, there are fewer candidates and that there are more opportunities for real-time fact-checking. Yeah. Because you hear these candidates rattle off some numbers, rattle off some details of the other candidate's record, and at least for me, I'm sitting there always wondering, okay, is that actually accurate? Yeah, 30 seconds is not enough time to rebut, for right. sure. Right, absolutely. It's <laughs> not even close. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, winners and losers. I-, I think, for me, the first night... Obviously, I think uh, Bernie and, and and Elizabeth Warren did as well as as expected. I think that um, a guy who I was kind of hot on and then cold on, and now I'm 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 reinvigorated in his candidacy. Maybe not for the presidency, but for vice president, that would be Pete Buttigieg. And then uh, the second night, I, I just I gotta go, Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. I think. The little time he had, he utilized, he capitalized on every single moment. And uh, the loser would be Kamala Harris, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. She seemed rattled. She didn't seem like she handled it well. Yeah. And again, that's something we need to focus on. How are these candidates doing when faced with adversity in the debate? Because as much as we in real time yeah as much as we we it, we don't think it's fair or whatever and it might not be the mark of how they'll be a president it matters because it's going to be on live tv with donald trump right there skulking around following them like a predator on the stage <laughs> and we need someone who can think quickly on their feet who can ap- approach it with the correct strategy cuz whatever hillary clinton did did not work and if this is evidence with with people of like minds, similar minds at least, of how Joe Biden will act, it's he's not even an option for me. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I think 
people may think that the criticisms of him kind of fumbling his words and when he tried to promote his text Joe Biden to, uh, you know, end. and he was like, go to Biden 30330 or whatever he said. Yeah. Um, it seems like a small thing, but it's really not because those things have a tremendous impact on how people will perceive him, whether he's with it. Okay. Yeah. And what narrative can be painted of him? Exactly. Even if it's a false one. Right. I mean, Hillary Clinton was like dizzy one day and they turned that into a parade of, of health problems, yeah. secret health problems for weeks. She had a fucking pneumonia and went to that ceremony. Yeah. I mean, so if she skips it, oh, it's terrible. If she goes while she's sick, oh, it's terrible. And then it turned into like a weekend at Bernie's narrative where yeah, look, she's just being carried around everywhere and she's actually dead. There certainly is something to be said for it. all these attacks are going to happen no matter what. But we don't want to fuel it by giving someone a flawed candidate who's not going to listen. Listen, Joe Biden isn't going to be able to stand to Donald Trump on the campaign trail. He's just not. He can say it when he's with supporters and I take him behind the woodshed and dip and dip. come the fuck on. Does anybody really believe that after having watched Joe, Joe Biden for two separate debates? I'd love to know if you do believe it. 657-464-7609. That's something. Well, for the people who are saying this is how Donald Trump gets elected, it's actually not. Because if Joe Biden is the uh, nominee, I'm voting for Joe Biden. Yeah, for sure. No, there's not even a question we that's should, happening we 100%. Should go, we should go into every one of these episodes by saying that. that we're talking about the primary here. Right. And but, listen, it wouldn't be my ideal choice, but guess what? We're in a situation where that doesn't really matter right now. Yeah, I would hold my nose and vote for Joe Biden just like I held my nose and voted for Hillary Clinton. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's unfortunate, but listen, that's the situation we're in. You want more of this guy tweeting that he's going to do whatever he can to support Kim Jong-un on the same day that Kim Jong-un is like killing people in his country? I mean, what's, right. what, what are we doing here? I don't know if you know, Brittany, but Donald Trump has an, what, an Article 2, and he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. It's not talked about as much. It's an Article 2. It's, yeah. not the, it's not Article 2 of the Constitution of the United States, which covers the executive branch of government, Article 1 being the Congress. You don't hear the Congress saying, uh, you know, I got an Article 1. We can do whatever we want. I will, I will say that people have been talking about it more and more. Right. No one even talks about it. Yeah, but they're talking about it more and more. Yeah, it's like uh, Frederick Douglass. People say he's doing great things. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. Anyway, one more time with the phone numbers. We don't hear from you. 657-464-7609. One more time. 657-464-7609. We want to hear from you via voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. We love you guys. We appreciate you every single moment that you've been listening to the show, referring us to a friend or a relative, even hate watchers, even hate listeners. They still listen. It, You know, it's one of my favorite things because imagining the amount of time that they waste their lives thinking about you know listening to me yeah. me little old me yeah that's awesome real real good i love it we'll see you next time you guys for britney page i'm jesse dollamore and this has been i doubt it people in the northeast 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 <laughs>